0: The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line, Davina Montgomery, good morning.
1: Good morning Mitch, how are you?
0: Good, thanks for being on the program once again and I suppose we should perhaps start by talking about uh, the Olympics it's a great feeling to see Australia well represented overseas even though you know, they're not our achievements necessarily the people finishing <laughs> in their respective races but um, you know the fact that we're such a small populous country uh, but we have such big results and are competitive against some of those huge giants overseas and also a great time, the Olympics for women's sport as well
1: Unbelievable, Mitch. It's been so good, and I was I was reflecting on this over the weekend. Um, And of course, when you hear, you know, that we've surpassed that this team this year has surpassed the medal tally from the Melbourne Olympics. I mean, that's just extraordinary because that was sort of that golden era of Australian Olympics. It gave us the MCG, you know, in so many ways. Like so, that legacy has just been so incredibly strong. But it was um, really when the Olympics first started that. I was really surprised to find out how excited and bought in I was because I, you had that, we had that big lead up with the cases and seeing what was happening in Tokyo. Of course, we were in lockdown ourselves in Melbourne um, and in Victoria. So it was such a concerning time and it felt a bit like, oh, dude, this could be really bad. But it's been wonderful. It's been so extraordinary and seeing the bond between all of the athletes and across those nations, for me, has been quite extraordinary. And I think there's something special about there not being crowds in a way, as, as disappointing as that will be for those athletes. Um, because what we've seen is that countries are standing there, the athletes from each country are in the stands, supporting the outcomes of the winners and seeing those celebration moments like we saw in the BMX um, yesterday with an extraordinary performance by the the English uh, female BMX rider and then the Australian BMX rider as well in their respective categories and seeing the celebration across men and women, multiple countries all coming together in their sport, just celebrating this amazing moment was just so uh, life-affirming I think <laughs> because it's felt a bit like the the pandemic in so many ways has pulled us apart and not just physically, but um, culturally and, and you know, all of those social separations that we've had, that us and them feeling that's been going on around fighting over the vaccine or international borders being closed or who's performing better in their vaccine response or their COVID response, whatever that is. Um, and it's just nice to kind of put all that aside and go, you know what, these are just, there's so much good in the world when you can find these moments and these moments, we've had so many in these Olympics
0: Mm, We have and hopefully there's more to come. I think the number of cases in Tokyo is still concerning because I know the officials had to come out and say to the locals, stop celebrating and don't congregate in public spaces and just watch the Olympics from home. So there's perhaps some concern about that, but um, it's pushed on without a major disruption. So I suppose that's something.
1: It has, I not mean, yes, and we did see in Tokyo. Like the, you know, the bridges that overlook stadiums and things like that were really packed. But um, look, at the end of the day, that I mean, I'm sure Tokyo will manage that. That you know, they're a, they're a very well governed country. But um, for the athletes themselves, for Australia, and the kind of results that we've had, you know, the the extraordinary re- result for Emma McKeon, um, those those were 11 medals, the the highest number ever. Mm-hmm. Um, the result in the pool, you know, overall, the whole, and it was funny, you know, I heard that comment that in sort of said, if Emma McKen, before she won that last gold. If, if she was a country, she would have been sitting 18th in the medal count. Things like that just blow your mind. Yes. Um, the amazing result across the team, and not just the gold medals, I really stress to say. It's been awesome to celebrate every single medal, and even just the people who've made finals. Yeah. Um, rowan Browning last night who just missed out but you know has such a bright future ahead of him on the track seeing you know we had uh denny as well i think was extraordinary in the discus and i think unlucky not to medal so it's been awesome just to watch it and the rowing has been amazing the sailing has been amazing um i mentioned the bmx just so many sports and every you know every single medal is a win
0: and I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on the fact that Tokyo spent all this money on the infrastructure, and I'm assuming you do that because in the long run you're hoping it's an investment and people will come back to your country and bring tourist dollars with them. Uh, now that you can't have crowds at the Olympics and they've had the disruption of the fact that it was postponed last year, is it going to be worth it for them in the long run, do you think?
1: Okay, it's a, the, the cost of putting on events like the Olympics now compared to even, you know, 20 years ago, I guess, Sydney. And, I mean, we we sort of balked at the cost of that then. It really is extraordinary. And it's been interesting to see now that that shift from the IOC, who said, no, you don't have to have brand-new stadiums all the time now for everything. You can uh, repurpose stadiums, upgrade them, and use the ones that you have, which is, of course, what will be happening in Brisbane. But um, it is an unbelievable cost. It really is. That being said, though... Japan is one of those countries that is already a very wealthy country. And I mean, we, we saw in, you know, I really questioned the cost in Rio. Um, that just seemed very hard to justify for me for a country that has such desperate need in right across its population um, just to be able to, you know, deliver an acceptable standard of living, healthcare, education, housing, um, safety for people, all of those things. So that was a really hard one to swallow. But for a country like Japan, I think that, that is very much an economic superpower in the world. They are a very, I think they're the fourth most wealthy nation in the country. I could have that wrong. My international (laughs) economics is not amazing. But they are a very, very wealthy country. Um, They, and you know what blows my mind about a city like Tokyo? We remember that Japan was absolutely devastated, literally raised to the ground a lot of its cities in the Second World War and rebuilt so these are not old cities these are quite new this is a country that's literally managed to to raise extraordinary cities extraordinary infrastructure in a relatively short period of time anyway um i think they're a country that will turn around and use those that infrastructure to attract major events they they're a sport-loving country in a lot of ways japan i mean I, i love you know lots of things about japan and i find them so relatable and that that sense of joy that um, that the Japanese people seem to have and, and the way that, you know, this is the country that after the devastation of the Second World War turned around and said, you know what, we're not going to have a standing army, and they don't they don't have a standing military um they have peace officers, or <laughs> some name that means something to do with peace basically and they build they've built these amazing ice sculptures and things so they've just managed to shift and change and adapt to the world around them in such an extraordinary way that i can't see that they won't find amazing things to do with these venues and they are bloody amazing <laughs> some of them some of the facilities are just mind-blowing um You know, I don't know that the rowers sort of loved it as much. I don't know that the open water was that fantastic, but things like the volleyball stadium and stuff like that look amazing.
0: Mm. I mean, I've looked online at previous Olympics and what happens to the venues after the Olympics finishes, and a lot of them, they do fall into disrepute, and you can see those photos of just where it's been completely abandoned, and it just looks terrible, and I suppose makes you think about whether it's a waste of money. So you just hope that they can repurpose and reuse it.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think we might see that Japan and the Tokyo Games is one of those, one of those places where they will actually, I mean, they're such an innovative country. There's such a, you know, such an embracing of clever minds and new ideas that I just can't see that they won't find, you know, amazing things to do. And remembering Japan is the home of robotics, so I fully expect there to be enormous robotics championships happening there at some point, too, in some of those stadiums. They'll just find a way, I think.
0: Now, there's been reports of spying, um, and this is in relation to state politics, reports that the Premier's staff were spying on focus groups, and the focus groups are really asking questions around the Premier's image. Now, I've never been part of a focus group, so I'm not entirely sure how they work, but I guess the question for me is, is it a good use of taxpayers' money to pay for the government to ask questions around um, how much people like the Premier? I mean, it's one thing to have focus groups to say... Would we prefer the Westgate Tunnel or the East-West Link Mm. or something like that? But um, is that sort of approach, that really sort of superficial, do you like the Premier, is that justified?
1: No, it's rubbish. (laughs) A total (laughs) waste of money, Mitch. I mean, honestly, again, politicians sometimes, apart from themselves, who cares? Honestly, Um, you know, what what we look for in politicians is people who are reasonably upfront with us, who do a good job who do what they say they're going to do and i think what we've seen is something that i know that you and i've talked about repeatedly in the last few years is that we actually wanted to see from our politicians and our, our political parties this willingness to embrace the realities to admit you know okay we didn't get that right we're learning we're, we're listening to you we're going to change tack the pandemic has changed that it's opened that way for now You know, you had to, the things that we know now are completely different to, to the early part of last year in the space of the pandemic. So that space has been bought. You don't have to sit there in focus groups to have someone tell you whether you like you. You need to go out there and do your job, do it well, keep listening really, really, really hard to all of the community, not just the people who are going to vote for you or that are in your, you know, that are the died on the wall, that side of politics or that particular part of politics, even within within those certain parties. You know, God, no one cares. Just do the job, do it well, fund the things that are really important and listen and listen. And then when you're finished listening, talk about that, then go back there and listen again, because there is so much need in the community, but there's also amazing uh, solutions out there. People who are really in the space of whatever that is. So, whether it's healthcare, whether it's education, whether it's um, in the environment, whether it's all sorts of things, leaderships, all sorts of stuff. Just go out there and listen to people.
0: It seems to me in this government the Premier is quite central to their ability to sell their message because reading some recent (laughs) articles that talk about uh, what it's like inside and how the people work very closely on his image, um, it sounds like it's very carefully curated and they work out all of the lines and test all of the messages ahead of time and I was even talking to someone that's not not a close follower of politics and said they're probably inclined to vote for the other side usually but they said they particularly liked the premier and I thought that's probably because the premier has been very carefully workshopped they've looked very closely at the messages to make sure that what he says appeals to the reasonable average person
1: yeah, look, I think um, I think Daniel Andrews is a very, very clever politician and I think in a lot of ways he's lent very much into the example of John Howard, um, of course, to politically on two opposing sides of politics, both of those politicians, but both very much understanding that when you are the leader of the party, if you are controlling the message and it's central around you, then you look like you're over everything because you're across all of these areas. And John Howard did this exceptionally well, Um, you know, and neither of them have been without fault throughout their very long political careers in their time in power, I'm talking about now, obviously. Um, You know, there were some big scandals on John Howard's side. There certainly has been with Daniel Andrews as well. But their ability to really control... The party's message going out, to stand up and front up, I think is actually the other thing that they they both have done. Uh, John Howard set a really good example of being very public, of being out there, of talking to people, um, of of standing there and taking the criticism and then just moving on, going, okay, I've heard you, this is what we're doing. Uh, And of taking the hard decisions, not necessarily the popular decisions, and that's something that both of them have done really well as well. And, of course, that that fundamental of doing what you say you're going to do, you know, I mean, at the same time, John Howard said he wasn't going to introduce a DST and he did. Um Daniel Andrews has had all sorts of things where he said he's going to do things and he hasn't, or vice versa, said so he wasn't going to do things and he's done them. Mm. Um, but we will forgive people as a voting public that stand up there and take the hits but keep going forward, keep telling us, you know, keep listening to us, keep that conversation going and who look like they're over all the detail because it becomes very, very messy for in politics when you get Opposing messages within your own party. Um, So having that rigid control of the messaging on your party, as much as it's such a um, probably not an ideal environment, I'd say if it was in, you know, if I was working in an environment like that, I'd probably find that really, really frustrating and difficult to work in. But in politics, it just works.
0: And uh, one of the issues that they're going to have to deal with very quickly and very soon, I'd imagine, is Crown Casino. I was uh, on the weekend reading through some of the transcripts from the Royal Commission, and some of them are quite alarming, some of the people within Crown, and, you know, the... The person doing the cross-examination put a question to one of them and said, you know, do you admit that this has been predatory behaviour in relation to responsible gaming? And they said yes. Uh, so that's one of the allegations. But then you've got money laundering. You've got um, the, the fact that they tried to underpay taxes. So it's a whole lot of issues that they're going to have to deal with, the government. And it seems like the Royal Commission's most likely to find that um, the government should revoke its licence.
1: Yeah, I think, oh, absolutely. Um, Look, this has been a huge, a huge fail by successive Victorian governments in the way that they've allowed Crown to dominate their own space that have been allowed to be a law unto themselves. And, you know, for anyone who's been in Crown at any period of time, it actually feels like it's its own city. I mean, I've seen Victoria police in there letting security guards do things that there is no way that if that was outside of the Crown precinct, that that would happen um so it has always been a real worry and i think it's been really widely known um, to most people who spent any time in melbourne everyone kind of knows that crown's just kind of done their own thing and been let it get away with it because it's filled the state coffers with lots of revenue from from gambling um although not as much you know,
0: revenue as they're supposed to apparently
1: No, (laughs) apparently not. But, you know, in so many ways it's felt like as much as, you know, there's some fabulous sides of it in in restaurants and entertainment and that sort of thing... it's also been a bit like a vampire stuck there on the on the side of the city just sucking the life out of people it's it's not it hasn't been a safe place for a lot of people either so as much as this inquiry is looking into the revenue side of things into the business operations into the laundering money laundering that side of stuff which is incredibly dangerous all on its own um, and hugely concerning but even just the way that it's been managed from a public safety aspect i think has has some huge wealth of stories that have not been told or heard, that have probably been largely suppressed just because nothing was going to happen because it was crown. Um, those stories don't go away and we know that. so I think this is just the tip of the iceberg for what will come out about the behaviour around Crown in years to come
0: and isn't that another example of powerful communications for a long time they've been able to say we are world leaders when it comes to responsible gaming but the royal commission has found that there's been a lot of aspects of that that have been left wanting
1: look i don't uh, you know for anyone in australia to say that there's been responsible gaming responsible gambling i think is kidding themselves i mean look at the environment that we have around gambling you know the crown issue is is a, is a big part of it that that completely changed the landscape in terms of pokies but even just local pokies venues i mean how many how many pubs and clubs were absolutely you know financially in dire dire trouble that are now very very wealthy purely on the back of gaming Let's have a think about the metrics of where does gaming money come from? It comes from people putting their paychecks or money that they don't have or money that they've stolen or money that they now owe is debts into pokey machines. Um, Football clubs have been absolutely propped up. I mean, you know, I've seen the, the responsible gambling ads that are coming around football clubs, and it's great to see that messaging being there. But I sort of looked down the list and went, gee, there's clubs in there that have, you know, huge takes from pokey revenue still that are standing up there saying that we, you know, we back Sort of responsible gambling around sport. Um, I think that there's a lot of hypocrisy in the space, and if people were really honest about the incredible damage that gambling can do, and I'm not saying that all gambling is bad. It's it's not. Gambling is a is a fact of life. It's been part of human society forever. I imagine. Yes. Um. You know. So it doesn't having having a go at gambling does not mean gambling should end. It just means it needs to be managed, and it needs to be managed so that we protect the biggest number of people in the best way that we can and try to minimise the harm from gambling because it's the harm from gambling that is the problem. In the same way that casinos aren't a problem, but if they're going to be money laundering and dealing with um, criminal gangs and, um, you know, having their own security forces and things like that, then essentially that there's some big harms that come out of that. So how do we still have the activity and how do we still allow gambling, but how do we minimise the harm? And for crying out loud, how do we stop it being marketed to our kids?
0: Um, now I see that you were at the Geelong VFLW match, um, which yeah. was fantastic. Obviously, because it seems like the uh, VFLW side is doing a bit better than the AFLW side of Geelong, which gives you hope as a Geelong supporter for the future.
1: Well, look, I, I was really fortunate to be there. Of course, it was a closed venue, but um, I was I was working there as part of a media team, so it it was a fantastic game to watch, I'll say that to all the Geelong fans and the Essendon fans out there I'd be really proud of those girls because I haven't seen um, too many games that have the level of commitment the level of uh, intense pressure that end with such a level of joy about the sport itself I mean obviously the Essendon team were you know devastated that they didn't get through and they have found a way in so many ways all season but Geelong have been the second on the ladder for most of the season of course they're coming up against Collingwood who've been an absolute powerhouse their VFLW team has is been undefeated all season so um, they are very very strong but the Geelong team have been highly organised and they've got a fantastic coach with Andrew Bruce they've got really good leadership and they're going to have a big game I think this weekend it should be fantastic So please feel free to tune in anyone who's interested in footy in general. It's going to be on the Sunday um, because remember for a second that VFL women don't get paid. So they train, they put all that time in, but they're doing it unpaid. They're doing it for the love of the sport. And they're such amazing ambassadors for women's sport and all of sport and particularly for AFL um, right across this station. And they're amazing to watch. And for the Geelong AFLW team, it was a really interesting one because... The uh, draft happened during the lockdown for the AFLW, and the second highest pick, I think, the second taken, sorry, the second pick in the draft was Georgie Brasparkas, who's uh, one of the Essendon guns, and she's of course going to Geelong. And quite a few, as a couple of the Essendon girls are going to Geelong, so Geelong have actually done well in the draft. So I think um, time to look up and see that there might be some good times coming for the for the AFLW team down here as well. Because they have recruited well, they are coached exceptionally well, um, they've got a fantastic the AFLW Geelong team, have got a fantastic coaching team on board. And even, you know, you hear that from, I've heard that from players across the, across the league from different clubs as well. So I think there's a bit to be, to be hopeful for. But, yeah, this absolute celebration of sport and women's sport, even though there was no crowds, which was really disappointing um, at the same time, the fact that they could get on there and get this season done. There's one game left to go in the VFLW season and Geelong is in the final and Collingwood is in the final. So um, for those supporters, absolutely worth tuning into and cheering them home. But just be proud of them because, honestly, it's it's been an extraordinary season of watching those, their VFL women's... Um, they do an, a quite extraordinary job, and the commitment of professionalism and just the positivity that they bring around their sport is something to behold.
0: Well, I think the Jong AFLW side showed a lot of spirit. I mean, they only won that one game, the last game of the year, I think, but um, the spirit that they showed, and it showed to me that they have a very good club culture, which is sort of the bedrock for success in the future, isn't
1: it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it all starts on the training track, so... Um they, like I said, having that good culture, having that good support system around them, having fantastic coaches and having that team environment that really works hard for each other, that's where success comes from in any sport. Um, and that's certainly true in, in women's football as well. So I think probably good times ahead.
0: Absolutely. Look, thanks so much for being on the program and talk to you again in two weeks time.
1: Terrific. We'll enjoy the rest of the Olympics, Mitch, and make sure you tune in on Sunday and watch that um, that 4 Women's Grand Final. I
0: certainly will, and go Geelong. Uh, Thank you very much, to Debina Montgomery, with us there and uh, giving us her thoughts on the issues of the day. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11.